You're listening to the Overtime Ireland American Football Podcast. Brought to you in association with OvertimeIreland.com. Now, here's the OTI guys. Hello there. Welcome back to the OTI Podcast as we start to look ahead to week nine, look back at week eight, and it's uh, hard to believe, as I've mentioned on the last couple of podcasts, that is, we are already at this stage of the season, the season flying and going uh, much too quick, uh, but this is what happens every year. We build it up through the off-season, and then all of a sudden, blink, and we're halfway through the season, so... We're heading into week nine, and it's going to be another great show today. My name is Colm Kelly. You can follow me on Twitter at Overtime Ireland. I am your weekly host here at the OTI Podcast. I'm going to be joined today by another great guest, and it will be Sigmund Bloom of Football Guys. And uh, I'm really looking forward to getting Sig back on the show. Uh, it's uh, haven't had him on this season yet, so looking forward to getting his thoughts on what has happened so far this season. So that's coming up in just a little moment. As always, starting the show, I'd like to thank you all for tuning in to this show. Hopefully you are a long-time listener and a subscriber to the podcast, but maybe you're not. Maybe this is the first time you've stumbled upon the OTI podcast. Maybe you've come through a link that uh, Sigmund shared. Maybe you've just uh, seen somebody retweet it. I do appreciate all the retweets we get for each and every uh, edition of the podcast. But if you are here for the first time, uh, please do hit that subscribe button. Come back each and every week and uh, check out what we have got going on. We have great guests each and every week on the show to get different perspectives, different opinions from all around the NFL the fantasy football community in particular last week chris harris was our guest and uh, today as i mentioned sig is coming up so there's a great guest each and every week and uh while you're there, do hit us up with a written interview. That does help us very, very much here at OTI. It only takes you uh, one or two minutes, but does uh, help us uh, both in the short term and long term. So starting to look ahead now to the holiday season as well, I guess. Uh, and, uh, you know, it seems like it's a long way away, but it does uh, creep up on you very, very swiftly. So with that, uh, I've got a couple of different affiliate links up there on OvertimeIreland.com website. And you can go there to the, the recommended section, see what we've got going on. See if any of them can help you out as you do some uh, online shopping uh, whether it's uh, for somebody else or for yourself and uh, you can check out the amazon.com links the audible links and uh, so on and so forth up there click through those banner ads and they do kick a little bit back here to oti and uh, helps us grow and uh, keep the lights on here at the podcast so uh, that is much appreciated as well the big plug i have for this week is for the 10 percent off promo with nfl shop europe it used to be a code now. It's as uh, simple as it can get. It's uh, a link. You click the banner ad there on OvertimeIreland.com or through the Twitter feed uh, at OvertimeIreland. And uh, just click that. And while you get to checkout, it'll just deduct 10% off all orders. That is at Europe.NFLShop.com. Check them out. Uh, they've got all the Color Rush uniforms up there. Got some nice merchandise. Uh, pretty much got everything that you get on NFLShop.com. And uh, they will hook you up with all the merchandise that you want to get. And then, of course you can get that 10% off. So there's a little added incentive in there. So just click through the link. There's one on the homepage up on the right-hand side or else go to the uh, recommended section, as I mentioned there a moment ago. And if you're on Twitter, it's all it's always been plugged out. I'm always tweeting it out, uh, trying to see anyone wants to uh, get themselves a bargain with that 10% off. So that is europe.nflshop.com. So with those uh, plugs out of the way, delayed once again now to be joined on the show by Sigmund Blue of Football Guys and uh, the great podcast, one of my favourite podcasts. Uh, I'm lucky enough to have a lot of the guys from my favourite podcast to listen to on my podcast, or so the Audible as well, uh, one of the best out there for football knowledge. Uh, Sigmund, it's uh, my pleasure to have you back on the show again. Oh, it's my pleasure to be here, and it's fun. Uh, we we have uh, a great – the football podcasting world is full of a lot of passionate people, a lot of enthusiastic and positive people, and it's always fun to get to participate in each other's shows, and I think we all make each other better. Yeah, I think and, uh, it's, a, it's just a great community to be a part of. Uh, obviously, 
Uh, we're talking, recording this on uh, Wednesday, the 1st of November, and uh, yesterday uh, we've seen the trade deadline take place. Obviously, there was some big news. I'll run through some of them now, and uh, then we'll break them down a little bit. Obviously, the big one was uh, the Eagles acquiring JJ from the Dolphins in exchange for a fourth-round pick. It looks it looked a little bit like a, a surprise on the surface, but the Eagles were looking for a running back, and, of course, Adam Gase has kind of taken a few shots at AJ uh, over the last couple of weeks. Uh, so we'll see. What happens uh, from that perspective? The other one then, of course, uh, that happened prior to the deadline was uh, the 49ers acquiring Jimmy Garoppolo from the Patriots in exchange for a 2018 second round pick. Kyle Shanahan gets his quarterback. The Patriots get something for Garoppolo as uh, he moved into the the last kind of stages of that contract. He he didn't look like he was going to re-sign in New England and it kind of looks like Tom Brady's going to to play forever. Um, Of course, then the last one that we're going to touch on is the Bills and Kelvin Benjamin. Uh, He was traded by the Panthers in exchange for a 2018 third and seventh round pick. So there's there's quite a few very interesting uh, transactions. And, you know, I've heard a lot of people talk, uh, you know, around the NFL about having that kind of, not a handcuff, but having those contacts that somebody will go and give you that opportunity. You hear it a lot with coaches. A coach might get let go and one team ends up with a coach that he previously worked with. And in this situation with the Panthers and the Bills, we see uh, head coach Sean McDermott was the defensive coordinator uh, for Benjamin's three years, uh, his first three years in Carolina. And then the GM up there now, Branton Bean, he was in the, the front office for the Panthers when they selected Benjamin in the fourth ra- first round in uh, 2014. So you see that kind of link up sometimes. But those three bits of news, uh, I'll just get your thoughts first on the, the Jai one. Uh, sure. how, did, how did you... Uh, think of uh, that move for the Eagles in particular and were you, you surprised with the Dolphins it looks like they've kind of packed it in on the season yeah I'm not surprised that uh, Adam Gase is running his team this way and you will see how much longer he gets to try to make this work they ended up in the playoffs last year Jai was a big reason but after the comments uh, the after the loss to the Ravens I was wondering whether Ajay was going to get benched you know he was putting the blame on Ajay more than the offensive line although when I watched Ajay I saw someone that was still full effort often breaking tackles or getting yards after contact but the contact was 2 yards deep in the backfield instead of 3 or 4 yards downfield and uh they I think he was ready to just move on from Ajay you know th- that relationship had gone sour and for the Miami organization, they did all right, investing a fifth-round pick in Ajay, getting a lot of work out of him, and then getting a fourth-round pick back for him. But obviously, their offense was built around the idea of Ajay getting 20 to 25 carries a game and being something that they leverage off of in the passing game. And without that, you wonder how this offense is going to move the ball with a lot of Jay Cutler's short, high-percentage passing, I guess. Uh, Jarvis Landry, who also was rumored to be on the trade block uh, during the trade deadline. So... On the Miami side, I think it's less of a football move and more of a relationship between the coach and the running back had gone sour. The coach taking an offensive head coach, taking a lot of flack for this offense's inability to move the ball consistently and him making a move to correspond to that. The Eagles, it just makes a lot of sense because Garrett Blunt's a limited back at this point. He's good for finishing games. But J.H.I. can be that running back they don't have that can do everything, can run with power between the tackles, can catch the ball out of the backfield, can get up to 20 or 25 carries and and get stronger as the game goes on. And this is a winning team and it was an element that they lacked. So giving up a fourth round pick is not trivial either. You know, a fourth round pick is, is a price, especially when it was pretty well known, I think, that the relationship had gone sour. So I think the Eagles wanted a J.I. There was some talk connecting them to Frank Gore. And uh, you remember that when Chip Kelly was there, Frank Gore all but signed on the dotted line and then ended up in Indianapolis. So they go with a Jai instead. And he still has another year left on a rookie contract. So this isn't just a move for this year. We could see a Jai as their feature back next year. Blunt basically, I think it was, it was a one year deal. So 
I think this is a really shrewd move by them. And you, you can see that they have a blueprint. And now that Carson Wentz has extended the field with a deep passing game, they want to complement that with power running with a, a little more burst, a little, a little more ability to break tackles uh, and, and make big plays than what LeGarrette Blount was giving them. Yeah, and I agree with it. The big point there, the takeaway that I have that you mentioned is, uh, you know, they have him on that rookie contract. So they pretty much have kind of 18 months, uh, a season and a half with him in it. And people talk about his knee issues. But again, uh, that's more a long term lookout, I think, than a short term. And I think it's a a perfect move for the Eagles at this moment in time. Uh, Talking off the Eagles and uh, this week. They uh, had another one. They've been on a, a real, real uh, roll to start the season. Carson Wentz has looked good. The conditions were pretty tough this past week. A lot of games affected by the weather in, uh, in week eight. But uh, we've seen a, a big connection. Jeffrey was kept quiet. Alshon Jeffrey, that is, uh, throughout the game. But he did uh, end up with two for 62 and a touchdown. One of those on a touchdown catch where we've seen kind of a little resemblance of what we've seen him with uh, the Chicago Bears when Cutler would just throw the ball his way and he would uh, outjump his man, catch the ball and uh, carry on into the end zone. So it was a game again where I mentioned he only had two receptions. He did have eight targets, but there has been a lot of times this season where they've almost linked up on plays like this, and although it wasn't a perfectly thrown pass. Uh, do you think this could be maybe the start of uh, Jeffrey and um, his connection with Wentz moving forward? Or do you think it's just uh, another one of those where it's going to be up and down as the season goes on there? For for me, outside of Ertz, outside of uh, Wentz, it's a team that's gonna, it's built for football. It's not really built at the moment for uh, fantasy football. Right. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Um, you know, Wentz, everything's converging at Wentz, Ertz, um, Aguilar has been somewhat consistent, but it, it, Wentz is finding, you know, now the rookie Matt Collins is getting more involved over Torrey Smith. And I, I do think you're going to continue to see some inconsistency for fantasy football. Certainly, we're not going to go with Altron Jeffrey this week against Denver Corners. Uh, the, that being said, I agree with you that they've really been aspiring to get that connection going between Wentz and Jeffrey, and Jeffrey doesn't look like he's lost anything from the Chicago days. As you said, that was a play that was a vintage Alshon Jeffrey play. So I I do think down the stretch, we could see the downfield passing get even more effective if J.H.I. is bringing eight men in the box. Uh, And I do think that J.H.I. is going to get a chance to take over this backfield. Then this could be an an offense that is really hard to prepare for, even without Jason Peters. Uh, This is still a good offensive line. It's still a team that puts defenses in binds that they can't really solve whenever you have downfield passing, you have an excellent receiving tight end, uh, and now you have a a good running back. And you have a quarterback who can uh, elude pressure and still, uh, you know, staring down the barrel of someone about to hit him, hit someone 40 or 50 yards downfield. So it's a really exciting offense to watch. I think we're going to end up seeing both of these uh, coordinators as head coaches next year. That's how good of a job the Eagles have done. Yeah, they've, they've done a really nice job, and especially as well taking uh, Wentz along in his second year at the quarterback position. A quarterback that's been in the league for a few years but hasn't got a lot of game time, and that's because he has been sitting behind Tom Brady, who I mentioned. And I did joke about it that he might play forever, but maybe we're not joking at this stage. <laughs> He's still, yeah. He seems to be uh, just uh, immortal at this point in time. But with that, obviously, Jimmy Garoppolo, and uh, there's talk that he isn't expected to play this week in Week 9. But with the 49ers, uh, rest of season, maybe their skill position players, do you think this obviously, do you think it gives him an uptick or do you think with Jimmy having to go and learn that playbook it might uh, take a little bit of time before we see anything click in there uh, in San Francisco yeah I think it'll be a little bit of time before we see Garoppolo uh, you know they're saying maybe week 12 and then there's going to be a ramp up he can't be worse than CJ Beathard so it could rescue some value for Pierre Garcon and uh, Carlos Hyde as the season goes on but that being said this is a move for the future I, I would 
say there's 99.9% chance we're going to see Garoppolo get signed to an extension before he hits free agency. And Kyle Shanahan had expressed uh, a positive sentiment about Garoppolo before uh, John Lynch said they were trying to get Garoppolo in the offseason. And I think Bill Belichick's comments reveal that probably the Patriots were always going to stick with Tom Brady. And Brady, really interesting article by Seth Wickersham, a fantastic article all about the TB12 method. Now he's going to play until he's 45 and he's going to reverse aging and start marketing all these products and things like that. But he, he's proving it out there on the field. He's like the test case for this regimen that he's put together. He and his, his different health gurus have put together. So I think they knew that they were going to stick with Brady. They weren't going to re-sign Timmy, Jimmy Garoppolo. And, and Bill Belichick basically all but said, we were going to get whatever we could at this point because this was the end of the possibility of getting to trade him. And they weren't just going to settle for a third round compensatory pick whenever Garoppolo hit the open market. Brian Hoyer, and it's all very elegant, right? Brian Hoyer, who originally was a, a backup to Tom Brady the year after he tore his ACL as an undrafted rookie. And then he, he gets cut by San Francisco, comes back to New England. Obviously, there's a lot of familiarity there and, and everybody's happy uh, with what they get. And the Niners get a chance to have their franchise quarterback without spending a high first round pick so they can take uh you know the best non quarterback in the draft next year they could trade down and, and get a king's ransom from a team looking for a quarterback it gives them a lot more flexibility in their team building it's just a question of whether Garoppolo is going to pan out uh, but for this year i think you're still looking at San Francisco well on their way to a, a top 2 pick next year 0 and 16 1 and 15 and you're asking a lot of Garoppolo to to be more than you know, mediocre or adequate uh, because the Kyle Shanahan offense is, was something that it, it's not an easy offense or a simple offense to pick up. And during the season, teams aren't really equipped. You know, that's what off-season OTAs and preseason and training camps for. The, the, the routine during the season is pretty well set. and It's very difficult to learn on the fly. Yeah, that's right. So it's going to be interesting to see in the next couple of weeks how these guys that have uh, been traded will work out. And uh, obviously, it, really, this trade only makes sense if they do sign him to a, a longer-term contract. Of course, they could franchise tag him heading into next year, but it gives them that option, like you mentioned. Uh, they're looking like they're going to have one of the first two to three picks in the draft, and uh, with that, of course, they would be expected to get quarterback. But now it gives them they have all their options open. So I think a very smart move uh, by the 49ers overall. And uh, another week, uh, I guess, it's another week of uh, football. It's another week to talk about Ezekiel Elliott and a monster week for him again rushed for 150 yards on three or 33 carries uh, he did have a fumble to start the game but after that uh, never looked back and pretty much rolled through Dak Prescott had a, a quieter week 143 yards passing and failed to throw a touchdown for the, the first time this year so it was a, a slower week obviously for the wide receivers but I guess when we're talking about Zeke we're talking about the Cowboys we have to talk about uh, that his uh, ban has been put back in place the six game suspension is in effect they are at the moment and by the time you listen to this show may have changed again it, uh, it's always a kind of influx situation but Ezekiel Elliott looks like uh, he will be missing this coming week's action uh, what do you expect to happen or have you just uh, given up on trying to figure out what's going to happen with this one right well I do expect that this is the end of the road for that legal battle and we're not going to see Elliott again until week 15 um, I, I don't know what how to forecast how this backfield is going to to be uh, divided up. I think they may have a plan going into the game, but based on what they see, they could change it. Uh, I would expect Alfred Morris would get the first shot at carries, but Darren McFadden will be mixed in. Rod Smith will be mixed in too. And I think if there's one running back that can emerge out of this trio, it would be Rod Smith just because he's an unknown talent, a lot of size, good burst. We know what Alfred Morris is. We know what Darren McFadden is. And we also know McFadden can get dinged up. Uh, so if, if I were to pick one up, I know that 
in, in fantasy leagues. Um, and I'm not that excited about the situation. You know, I would pick up Alex Collins from Baltimore or even pick up Danny Woodhead in anticipation of his return in a few weeks before I would pick up a Dallas running back. But uh, Morris and McFadden will be the ones that everyone rush out to get where we may come out of this week's game against Kansas City with Rod Smith being the most coveted back because he, he is a, a talent, at least from a physical standpoint, that is superior to Morris and McFadden. But I'm excited to see more Dak Prescott. I, I think one of the more underreported stories in the league this year is that Dak Prescott is playing lights out. It's outstanding, outstanding football, highly efficient and, and, and really um, almost, you know, his, his ideal, even the, the, you know, the loss to Green Bay, the pick six in that game was all on Terrence Williams. Dak Prescott was going toe to toe with Aaron Rodgers and really should have won that game. So more Dak Prescott really might not be a bad thing for this offense. And he just needs to hang around. We're going to see nine and seven teams get into the playoffs this year. So if he can keep them hanging around until they get Ezekiel Elliott back. We might just look at this as a blip and, and really see that Dak Prescott it wasn't just the offensive line. It wasn't just the running game that created him last year. Now he can create for the team uh, while the running game is down a little bit. Yeah, and he's a player when you're watching him each and every week. There's very few mistakes in his game. Uh, you mentioned that pick six not really been his fault. It just uh, seems to his football IQ. Of course, if you're a quarterback, your IQ has to be through the roof. But we see quarterbacks on a weekly basis make huge, huge errors. And he just doesn't seem to have those errors in this game at the moment. So I'm looking forward to seeing if, if Elliot is to set out. Uh, we're looking forward to seeing how he fares uh, having to take this team on his shoulders as we move forward. Uh, there was a game in Seattle this past week and two quarterbacks decided to both take the game on their shoulders. But unfortunately, yeah. only one team could win. Obviously, I think uh, it's pretty fair to say that that game up in Seattle was uh, the game of the year so far. Absolutely. And and it may be one that, you know, they look back uh, with in Seattle. Also, you know, it's interesting that Dwayne Brown, the left tackle for the Texans, didn't even have to pack his bags uh, as, as his first game of the year as a visiting player. But so they do address the offensive line by making that tra- trade for Dwayne Brown. But also, I, I think they owe the Seattle Seahawks owe to Sean Watson for making that such a wide open freewheeling game, because what you saw was Russell Wilson getting a chance to you know, they move the pocket. Um, they allowed him to basically play you know, long range missile strike where he was able to keep the whole field in play and really be as aggressive as he wanted to be. And this is something as we've watched the evolution of Russell Wilson back from when he won the job as a rookie, the leash has gotten a little bit longer each year. The freedom has gotten a little bit greater each year. And now they have a healthy Tyler Lockett, a healthy Paul Richardson, a healthy uh, Doug Baldwin. They have Jimmy Graham in the middle of the field and in the red zone. And Russell Wilson, not just from a fantasy perspective, but as far as what, what he can offer this team, if because they've been a team that's been very disappointing in the playoffs over the last few years. But if Russell Wilson in and of himself can put pressure on the opponent to have to score 30 points in a game, and and, the, and they keep the offense in this mode, in this downfield strike mode, that's your best possible Seattle Seahawks. And on the Houston side, I think we should all just keep our fingers crossed that somehow Houston can get into the playoffs, because now with Deshaun Watson, it's the same thing he inspired at Clemson, this idea among his teammates that we can beat anybody anywhere with this guy as our quarterback. And uh, it, it's really fun. And, you know, the, the football gods taketh away Andrew Luck and Sam Bradford and J.J. Watt and, and, and Odell Beckham, but they giveth in the form of Deshaun Watson this year. 
and uh, with Watson obviously he had 402 passing yards or uh, passing yards he had four passing touchdowns led the team with 67 rushing yards so a monster day from him uh, obviously in this one uh, DeAndre Hopkins at 224 yards uh, that was bolstered by that late touchdown on that screen pass which just uh, showed off what he can do with his speed the other one is Will Fuller obviously five for 125 and two touchdowns uh, his streak of uh, touchdown passes is absolutely incredible now he has seven on the season and has caught just 13 receptions so I think it's fair to say that, that has to slow down at some point but when it slow downs is a, a, another situation and obviously Russell Wilson as well a monster day for him 452 passing yards a career by a career high by more than 75 he threw for four touchdowns as well so when you look at the two of those guys in this game uh, one of your writers over at football guys Adam Hartstead noted that uh, before this game there were three occasions in NFL history where a quarterback had 400 passing yards four passing touchdowns and rushed for 30 yards and then uh, this here past week both guys in that game did it so absolutely incredible from that perspective I guess when we're touching on Seattle uh, it's fair to say that we'll just uh, skip over the running backs for the entire rest of the season for that yes. team but uh, when we're when we're looking at the the receivers obviously it's a bit of a quieter day for Doug Baldwin but the the one to talk about I guess or the two to talk about is Tyler Lockett who had his biggest game of the season by mm-hmm. quite some distance six for 121 and Paul Richardson then had a, a monster day with 105 yards and two touchdowns on six catches so the two of those guys look good but again this probably isn't what we're going to expect from the Seahawks every week they do want to play it a little bit uh, closer to the vest than this one but with those two guys is there any of them that you're expecting to be uh, legitimate flex options the rest of the season I've always been a, a Lockett fan but he's always had his issues mm-hmm. with injuries but he's, he's kind of looks like he's working through that there was a couple of nice passes from both him and Richardson this past week where at times you'd almost mistake them for uh, Doug Baldwin sure Sure. And with Lockett, he doesn't quite have the explosiveness that he had before that gnarly leg injury last year, but he's still a deep threat and he still obviously has the chemistry with uh, Russell Wilson. And he, I think, will be a little more involved in the offense and get more targets week to week, maybe have a higher floor. But Paul Richardson has the trust in the red zone. He has the trust on 50-50 balls and he's just making some spectacular plays. And you know, th- this uh, it may not be every week because the opposing quarterback might not force them to keep the offense that opened up for the entire game but it does continue to raise Russell Wilson's ceiling and it it gives you the willingness to put them either of them Richardson or Lockett in in any given week because defenses will focus a little more on Doug Baldwin or or, or Jimmy Graham and Wilson it just has that he's reading the field long to short where he's look he wants to throw downfield he wants to make the big play and both of these players are are making big contributions downfield and maybe Doug Baldwin is the one who gets hurt a little bit because he was such a big part of the red zone offense in the second half of the year the last few years and he was a true number one receiver but now uh, with all three of these guys healthy plus Jimmy Graham Russell Wilson has enough options that the defense is aren't going to be able to answer all of them and uh, I guess um, we'll look uh, when we're talking about quarterbacks we'll look at another one is Teddy Bridgewater obviously uh, he had that uh, gruesome injury uh, last season prior to the season a lot of people thought that he would uh, possibly never play again I guess when we're talking about injuries a similar injury uh, happened this week obviously with Zach Miller uh, down uh, while he played in New Orleans for the Bears and uh, obviously uh, wishing him all the best as uh, he recovers from that after his uh, surgery and when you're looking at uh, Bridgewater it's great to see him that he's possibly going to get back into the action again but with him with uh, the opportunity for maybe to to get playing again this season do you think that uh, it's a process where you know again we talked about it uh, with uh, Garoppolo going over and having to learn the playbook obviously Bridgewater will know the playbook but you do miss out on that preseason. you miss out on those uh, reps and uh, how do you think it'll go if he does come back into this team and, and gets gets the start in uh, the next couple of weeks? 
Yeah, I don't know if he's going to get back in there. I want to see him back in there, and I think he would be an upgrade from Case Keenum, if only just to be safer with the ball. But you know, I had uh, Paul Charchian who covered the the Eagle, the Vikings. You know, very hooked into lots of Minnesota things. And at this point, he says because they're winning, they're going to stick with Case Keenum, and and their defense is good enough, and, and their receivers, Stephon Diggs is healthy again, Adam Thielen, you know, uh, Kyle Rudolph is contributing, um, Jarek McKinnon is contributing a lot. Where this team is good enough now that they can continue to win with Case Keenum. So I don't know if we're going to see Teddy Bridgewater. I don't think we're going to see Sam Bradford. Uh, and I would like to see Teddy Bridgewater get out there. And I think we're going to see Teddy Bridgewater start somewhere next year. Um, I don't know if it'll be Minnesota. All of those quarterbacks are free agents for Minnesota next year. Um, and I, I think it's great to see Bridgewater on the sidelines, coaching up his teammates, and, and, and very involved, truly still exercising that leadership role, even if it's not on the field. But I was... A little disappointed to hear that the team uh, doesn't have any plans to go with the Bridgewater at this point. Although if Case Keenum gets a little careless with the ball for a game or two and they, it costs them, uh, then we could see him out there. But for now, I think Keenum has shown he can still keep Diggs and Thielen and Rudolph all very relevant for fantasy leagues. Uh, Jarek McKinnon and keep this team. You know, this is a, this is a, a year where maybe five teams at this point, the halfway point of the season, we would say are out of it. And everybody else is within a game or two of first place. And a lot of these divisions are certainly within a game or two of a playoff spot. So everybody's still controlling their destiny. And Minnesota, we would have been talking about Minnesota is suffering two of the most crushing losses in terms of injuries in Sam Bradford and Dalvin Cook. But they're set up very well going forward. Yeah, no, certainly and in that division, obviously with Rodgers being out for the Packers, uh, it gives them uh, a real chance to go and win that division. So it'll be interesting to see if Keenum does have maybe a, a couple of weeks where he has a couple of slip-ups. So we'll see a little bit of pressure on him, but he has been very, very serviceable there for Minnesota at the position. Uh, a quarterback who he seems to be, maybe we'll call him uh, Teflon, he, he seems to always uh, get away with it, and it's uh, Jameis Winston down uh, in Tampa for the Buccaneers. He's a player, obviously, hugely talented, and we've seen it with Andrew Luck for his first three or four years in the league, where a lot of interceptions, a lot of turnovers, and we always said that oh, it's because he has to carry the team. He kind of, we just let it slide, but uh, there's a lot of turnovers happening now uh, with Jameis, and there's a lot of times in games where his decision-making, there, maybe there is a short pass, you know, a 10 to 15-yard completion, he's trying to go deep. This, this team at the minute just really doesn't seem to have a, an identity on offense. Have you been... I think you'll probably say yes, but have you been disappointed overall with how the, the Bucks have looked? And I think it's fair at this stage, yeah. this stage to say that, you know, I'll be shocked if this team gets anywhere near the playoffs when you talk to them and they go about four or five mm-hmm. teams being out of contention. I think this is one of the teams that I would be putting a fork in at this stage. Yeah, especially if they can't win at the Superdome this weekend. But look, they were an exciting team that looked like they were ready to take the next step coming into this year. The defense was dominant at times last year. They suffered injuries at every level of the defense. They're still missing a few key players, and the defense has been a liability on the offensive side. You know, they get Deshaun Jackson, they draft OJ Howard, the offensive line, a young offensive line. You expect to start to gel. We expect James Winston to take another step in his uh, third year. And Marcus Mariota also has been disappointing looking for that next step in his third year but the titans have still been able to scuff scuffle and get to four and three you know and got a big win over jacksonville got a big win against seattle um tampa has had anything approaching that and really if they hadn't faced mike glennon in the first game of their year in week two um 
we never would have thought much of this team. And, and, and I think what it really points to is Dirk Cutter probably being one of the coaches that gets fired this offseason. And that, as you said, Teflon, he resets the clock on Jameis Winston. And, and look, there are a lot of teams that wish they had Jameis Winston. And Jameis Winston's going to be the – he's going to be the quarterback of Tampa for a long time. But is it going to be one of those situations like it was with, you know, Jay Cutler where all the physical tools are there. Um, even in Winston's case, you know, he has a lot of leadership qualities. But he's erratic and inconsistent, and in times uh, this year, at least, when the team has really needed him to come through and make a play, he hasn't been able to do it. Yeah, and I, I just feel with the, the Buccaneers, outside of uh, Cameron Brett, who's been very, very consistent, it seems to be that every time they drop back and look for a pass, they're looking for the, the big, uh, you know, the, the wow play. They're looking to really go for the home run every time, and just sometimes they just need to, to take those 10 yards, move the ball a little bit again, and uh, progress down the field. It just seems like they're trying to get it all in one huge chunk. So we'll see if they can improve, but so far they've been a, a major disappointment for me this season. Uh, you mentioned playing in the Superdome this week. The Saints have uh, looked very good over the last couple of weeks, and uh, the game is kind of morphing for them more into a, a run-based game with obviously Mark Ingram, uh, since Adrian Peterson went away. Mark Ingram's been one of the better running backs in the league, 99 yards and a touchdown for him. He did have two fumbles, but uh, overall a very, very solid out for him. Then uh, the rookie running back there, Alvin Kamara, who's uh, impressed me a lot this season at 76 yards and a touchdown. So both running backs playing very, very solid. And obviously with those running backs having big games, it was a little bit of a quieter day for Michael Thomas, who finished with 77 yards and seven catches. Ted Ginn's been very good over the last four to five weeks with two for 68. And when you're looking at them, obviously limited by the lack of touchdowns. Drew Brees didn't have a passing touchdown in this one. But overall, they are going to get those uh, touchdowns as the season goes on. I guess uh, what my question is going to be is that there's no real uh, reason to uh, be concerned about the wide receivers, the way they've been playing. I've been impressed by both of them over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, and I think that this team is everything is chugging along just fine after an own to start. And it may be much to our chagrin in fantasy leagues. They're fine with giving these running backs 30, 35 touches in a game or more and not have the offense run through Drew Brees, not have Drew Brees have to throw for 400 yards or throw four touchdowns for them to win because they also have a better defense now. Marshawn Lattimore. The rookie cornerback has been a revelation. They should get Delvin Bro back soon, uh, easing him back into the lineup to upgrade the other cornerback spot. Uh, Cam Jordan is maybe the most underrated defensive player in the entire league. Last year's first round pick, Sheldon Rankins, is starting to make more disruption inside. Alex Okafor switching from a 3-4 outside linebacker with um, Arizona to a, back to being a 4-3 end has also been outstanding. So th- this defense, which has been a liability, is starting to become a strength, and they, they've even really taken over a few games. So Sean Payton, you know, he, he doesn't necessarily, he's not Mike March, you know, he doesn't necessarily want to have to be a wide open offensive team and now he has the running back combination he has the defense and this team should really be able to stay on track and win a lot more of these games scoring more like 20 or 25 points than 35 or or 40 points or in some of the games we've even seen them lose in the past where they've been scoring that many points because the the blueprints really coming together and and very quietly it's not getting that much attention Uh, they're the best team in their division and they really can set themselves up possibly to have a home playoff game or two where they're very difficult to beat. Yeah, and uh, you mentioned the best team in their division. I think at the moment, the way they're playing, it's not particularly close. I've been very impressed with them. And obviously, you mentioned there as well. And something I take up on the podcast a lot, the NFL teams do not care about our fantasy football teams. So as long as they're getting Ws in the, in the win column, uh, they don't really mind uh, what we think of it. And uh, moving on then, a player who 
has uh, had a big week as Juju Smith-Schuster for the past couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. The story was kind of centred in Pittsburgh around Martavis Bryant, the team I've mentioned on the last couple of podcasts. They've had kind of somebody has been disgruntled every week of the season so far, but it's really uh, Martavis over the last couple of weeks has uh, had, a, had a bad way about him. But obviously Juju had a big game this past week, caught seven for 193 and a 97-yard touchdown, which is uh, a team record for the Pittsburgh Steelers. So with their history and tradition, it's uh, obviously an impressive uh, to have a, a team record uh, at this stage of his career. But with uh, Juju, obviously uh, you have to say that he's uh, the, the one behind uh, Antonio Brown at the wide receiver position you want to own in this team. And we've seen wide receivers come and go through, uh, through Pittsburgh over the last couple of years, and they, they never really have had that solid number two option. We've seen Martavis have a big role a couple of years back, but then obviously he's had his issues. But uh, Juju Smith-Schuster for the rest of the season, uh, do you think uh, he's somebody that you can uh, put in that flex week in, week out? And then, of course, uh, long-term, the dynasty value has to be uh, one of those that you know, he was going in the kind of second round of dynasty leagues this uh, mm-hmm. offseason. Obviously, I've seen I've seen some drafts being done over the past uh, two or three days to to get the ADP for the month of November, and uh, he's really skyrocketing up those uh, boards in dynasty. Yeah, as he should, because you know he was seen as maybe somewhat limited physically compared to the first round receivers. You know, compared to John Ross's speed, he's not a, a four four burner. Compared to Mike Williams' size, compared to Corey Davis's size, uh, he didn't have that one tool. But as a number two receiver across from a Hall of Famer, uh, Antonio Brown, he doesn't need to really. From a dynasty perspective, the only thing that might hold him back is how long is Ben Roethlisberger going to play. But that being said, if Juju keeps playing this way, maybe that could. Vince's Roethlisberger to play a little bit longer and he's only 20 years old uh, with that 97 yard touchdown he broke the record for no most touchdowns his fourth before he turned 21 in the NFL uh, so he, I don't think uh, this is almost an ideal situation for the Steelers because Martavis Bryant can bellyache about his involvement in the offense but now Juju Smith-Schuster has turned it into a, a merit-based argument where Bryant hasn't proven that he can do more than Smith-Schuster can. Smith-Schuster also an excellent blocker, very advanced for a 20-year-old as a route runner, you know, a physical player. When they drafted him, I, I told my fellow Steelers fans, I'm a Western Pennsylvania native, and the only jersey I own of a Steeler is Heinz Ward, and he's going to remind people of Heinz Ward and maybe offer even a little bit more in terms of the vertical game that Heinz Ward offered, uh, which is saying a lot considering what Heinz Ward contributed to the Steelers, not just in terms of plays, but also that spirit, that competitiveness, and he has that lightness about him that Heinz Ward also had. So, you know, history repeating himself, but absolutely, um, he's going to be somebody that the, the trust is there. The connection and chemistry is there between Heen Roethlisberger and the Steelers play. I think they play at Indianapolis, one of the worst pass defenses in the league right out of the bye. And then I think five of their next six or four of their next five games are at home where Roethlisberger always plays his best football. So it should be an excellent second half of the year for the Steelers passing game. Yeah, I think at the moment, uh, you know, if you're talking to the AFC, I think probably they're uh, in the top three teams anyway, if not the best team at the moment in the AFC. And I've been surprised at how good that defense has been uh, so far this season. You mentioned as well his spirit. My favorite tweet from any player this week was with uh, Juju Smith. Uh, he had a picture of just after he scored that touchdown. He said the, the one thing they can't measure is uh, heart. So at, at the combine, they don't test you for that. And obviously he's shown so far in his career that there is a lot of that uh, in him. So it's uh, I'm impressed with how he's done. And I think going forward, he's, he's going to be a good player to own uh, and particularly in dynasty leagues. 
running up. Uh, a few of you are going to try and go through rapid fire before we wrap up here, and uh, we're only sure. uh, heading into the ni- week nine of the season. And uh, you know, we thought it was going to be hard to decipher the Patriots uh, running back situation uh, at the start of the season. That has continued to be very, very tough to do. So Dion Lewis led the team this week with uh, 15 rushes for 44 yards. So nothing really much there, but he looks to be taking over more of the running down work. But James White and Rex Burkhead have been uh, doing well. Obviously, Rex Burkhead coming back in after his injury was looking quite good uh, prior to that injury. But James White, uh, 5 for 85 receiving, and then Burkhead, 7 for 68. So in PPR leagues, these are both uh, very uh, valuable options moving forward. But do you think it's going to be a continued situation where both are splitting uh, those catches rather so obviously in this here game you have uh, 12 catches to uh, the two running backs do you think and PPR they're they're both safe options the rest of season James White is going to be a safe option and Burkhead's very good I'm curious how much of the passing to the running backs was to slow down the Chargers pass rush yeah, Melvin Ingram and Joey Bosa um, it, it, Bill Belichick was never going to take the the uh, bull by the horns you know he wasn't going to drop back Tom Brady for a lot of downfield passing in that one do a lot of ball control and, and short passing but that, that being said I, I would hold on to any Patriots back even Mike Gillisley unless you're talking about really short bench leagues because injuries could clarify this thing Gillisley I think has lost the goal line back role to Deion Lewis and maybe even a little more Rex Burkhead, but it's such a potent offense and you have them passing to the running backs enough that there's PPR value there and, and you just don't know how this thing may sort itself out by week 13, 14, 15. Uh, one or two backs may be really reliable and, and I, I, I want to hold on to a Patriots back, any of them that I have, because as, as we saw last week, you plug one of them in and you may get 12, 15 fantasy points in PPR leagues. There's always a chance for a touchdown or two uh, and, and again, injuries can clarify these things very quickly. And uh, with uh, that game, obviously, we kind of thought heading into it, it could be, you know, an opportunity for the Chargers to really uh, put up a, a number of points on the board for fantasy. We thought that Rivers would have a big day. Keenan Allen, we were expecting a lot more from Hunter Henry. We thought it was going to have a big day. And it was a very quiet day all around for them all. Uh, Keenan Allen, four catches, 61 yards. And then Hunter Henry, just two catches for 11 yards. So I guess my question there is uh, rest of season. Can you can you really trust this Chargers team and, and Henry in particular, who is, you know, obviously we know what he can do in the red zone and he's uh, has a lot of touchdown production, but very, very uh, hard to, you know, he's had a couple of weeks this season where he's had less than two catches. Yeah, it's, if this has been, you know, depending on the week, he's involved less or more in the game plan. And Mike Williams, the first round pick, is getting healthier. They have the bye week here to reassess priorities. Uh, Travis Benjamin's been doing things with his speed, stretching the field. Keenan Allen, of course, is there in the middle of the field. Um, Melvin Gordon should be as healthy as he's been for a little while coming out of the bye. They use him a lot. So there's just only one football, and it, it's tough. I mean, granted, tight end is a brutal position. In fantasy football, there's maybe seven or eight guys at this point that are reliable week to week. So I still would hold on to Hunter Henry if you don't have one of those guys. But it's going to be dicey knowing week to week what's going to happen in this passing game, other than Keenan Allen being involved to the tune of four or five or six catches a week. Yeah, and uh, obviously you mentioned tight ends there. Jack Doyle had a, a career day for him, 12 receptions, 121 yards and a touchdown. So he is definitely a, a weekly playable option. He seems to be a safe option there with Jacoby Brissett looking for him a lot on those kind of shorter passes. But well, two players there that you can't really trust is T.Y. Hilton. You know, he had a big week uh, three or four weeks ago and we kind of thought that maybe he would be uh, quarterback proof, but it just doesn't look like that's going to happen. And obviously Dante Moncrief, somebody who a lot of people had hopes for uh, heading into the season, had uh, no catches for obviously zero yards and uh, it's very hard to even talk about him anymore and obviously with the luck situation what's going on there it's very very hard to, to trust anyone on this team outside of Jack Doyle at the moment maybe Marlon Mack 
Yeah, exactly. I think that you're looking at Jacoby Brissett leaning on more of that short-range passing, which means Mac and, and Doyle, and the connection is obviously there with Doyle, including in the red zone, and especially this week against Houston, where you're going to have to play catch-up football likely in the second half with the way Deshaun Watson's playing. It should be another big day for Jack Doyle. And uh, with, uh, obviously... Uh, the weather that was another game affected by the weather the Colts we thought that the Bengals would really uh, dominate them this week and it didn't really turn out to be that uh, way the kind of a nail-biting one for the Bengals Joe Mixon uh, made some complaints after the Steelers game last week that he should get to carry the ball more he did lead uh, running backs carrying it but he uh, only carried it 11 times in this one but he managed 18 yards in those carries so obviously that's not what you want he did have a one big reception a 67 yard catch that ended up helping him to get to uh, 91 yards uh, on the ground so he he's just just uh, not looked as good as a lot of people thought in the preseason. What have your thoughts been on, on Mixon so far? Yeah, that well, part of our analysis of Mixon in the preseason was he's going to have to overcome that offensive line. And it, he was a, he's equipped to do it as, as far as being able to break tackles and elude players. But you can only ask so much of a player. And I, I don't think he can overcome that this year. And I, I, I've, you know, this week against the Jags, you would think they would want to load up on the run. But again, you know, um, if the offensive line can't make any holes, it, it doesn't matter. Um, this is going to be a, probably a pretty brutal game for the Cincinnati offense as uh, Andy Dalton's having trouble throwing downfield as it is when he's not facing teams like Jacksonville. And the Bengals may have to go back to the drawing board with this offense where you know they get speed, they get quality talent in the backfield, but if you don't have an offensive line, it's all for naught. Yeah, and uh, I'm going to be uh, previewing this game for Rotovis uh, on another podcast Ooh. tomorrow. And uh, yeah, this one—I mean, it just looks like a ritual sacrifice of Andy Dalton in this one. Yeah, and uh, obviously a, a key area of weakness for that uh, Jacksonville defense, if you can say that, is against the run. They have struggled a little bit, but they did trade for Marcel Darius uh, over the <laughs> over their bye week, so that's going to really shore that up. So it's it's not looking good this week uh, for the Cincinnati Bengals, uh, Joe Mixon and Andy Dalton. So we'll see we'll see what happens there, but. Uh, Thanks as always uh, for jumping aboard, Sig. It's it's been a pleasure. Oh, it's always a great pleasure, and you know it's 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 so fantastic to watch how our community has grown and, and everybody like yourself doing such great work and uh, ele- elevating the discourse every week. I always look forward to these opportunities. Once again, make sure you're following Sigmund on Twitter at Sigmund Bloom and uh, check out all the great work at Football Guys. As well, uh, I've uh, a couple of podcasts coming out. I've been tweeting them out, and uh, you pretty much uh, you know at this stage that if you're listening to the podcast a long time, whatever's going on with OTI, I'll be tweeting it out, and I'll probably tweet it out three or four times throughout the week. But uh, I've been tweeting out my podcast uh, throughout the week, and then of course on Sunday I tweet them out early in the morning, just in case you want to catch them prior to the kickoff of the games. But uh, like last week, I'll have another three podcasts coming out this week. Well, this one included, obviously, uh, the OTI one, and uh, I recorded. Uh, yesterday with Blair Andrews on the, the Rotoviz highlight reel talked about some of his recent rotoviz.com work so uh, do check that one out as well the highlight reel is a fun series to get a little bit of an insight into the process of those uh, Rotoviz writers and uh, I'm going to be recording the Rotoviz highlight reel uh, on Thursday which uh, is tomorrow recording this one Wednesday I'll be talking to JP Shadrick of the Jacksonville Jaguars we'll be breaking down uh, the Jaguars game this coming weekend so uh, they're going pretty well in their division they had their bye week and they're ready to get back into action so we'll be talking a little bit about the Jaguars or a lot actually about the Jaguars on the, the fantasy beat this week so check out both them you'll be able to find them on the Twitter handle that is at Overtime Ireland please do make sure you're following me on there uh, leave us a written review on iTunes or Stitcher whatever you're listening to it on and of course check out all the different uh, recommended pages and affiliate links up there on OvertimeIreland.com so until I'm back next week with another show looking back at what is going to happen in the future of uh, this coming weekend hopefully 
we all have a good week of fantasy football success your team has a good week as well and until i'm back with another show next week of course have a good one thank you for listening to the overtime ireland american football podcast please follow us on twitter at overtime ireland check out overtimeireland.com and continue to spread the word this has been an overtime ireland production 